Welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tubes show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks for listening. This is a lived experience that I'm sharing with you, and I think this journey is much better shared. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Welcome to episode four of the No Feeding Tube Show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and today I'm talking about dreaded meal times following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Here's a fun fact for you Did you know that memories evoked by odour are significantly more emotional than those recalled with visual cues? I'll say that again. Memories that are evoked by odour are significantly more emotional than those recalled with visual cues. Now, you know, when we're going through this treatment process, that odour can cause all sorts of responses. I'll talk more about that later, but I entitled this episode Dreaded Meal Times because... We, as head and neck cancer treatment patients, experience food as a source of danger, a chore, something to be solved, and an isolated and antisocial experience. So today's discussion revolves around three areas that I identified and personally worked on to improve not only my feeding regime, but around that dreaded mealtime scenario. And in identifying these and accepting the fact that these were going to happen, it gave me a framework to actually work on these three individual areas and recognise them firstly, find strategies to um, support that process and in turn that created my best food life. So the areas that I'm going to talk about today are loss of pleasure in food. That's the first thing. The second thing is increased effort and the burden of food. And the third thing is the isolation and the antisocial nature of food having had head and neck cancer treatment or even going through it. So let's talk about the loss of pleasure in food. You know, pleasure, food should be giving us pleasure. It, it, it's all about, uh, you know, the, the routines of food. Notwithstanding the social aspect and that food and drinking are a part of every pretty much aspect of our life, unless you do other things um, like walking or go and actually move away from that process of eating food. But we lose the pleasure in food. We lose the joy in food. That's all a very real process when you're going through head and neck cancer treatment and possibly afterwards. So 
recognising that you are going to lose that pleasure in food. Now, if you were someone who didn't really give two hoots about food in the beginning and it really was just a means to an end in terms of, you know, it's just keeping me alive, then this process might be a bit easier for you. But for someone like me and possibly someone like you, we're eating, having people over for dinner or lunch or breakfast or barbecuing or doing any number of those things socially that you took as a given part of your life are just rudely ripped away from you. You have to recognise that and you have to grieve it and you have to come up with some strategies to replace, um, change or pivot. So that loss of pleasure in food is very real. Uh, it's the taste, it's the smell, the odour, and your swallow. Uh, those are the things that are going to be affected in terms of when you lose your pleasure in food. One of the things that I noticed whilst I was going through this process, and I was on a peg tube for 15 months, so I didn't eat orally for over a year, you start to disconnect from food and all that that means. And by that I mean the shopping, the cooking, the looking, the physically going out to food markets. I used to go to a lot of fresh food markets, both locally here where I live in Australia. And when I travelled, I used to build my international travel around cuisine. I used to actively seek out food markets to try food, to try street food, to, you know, all that was taken away from me. So I really recognised that disconnect from food and I recognised that I had to concoct, if you like, ways of staying connected to food. Now, if you've got a carer, that person, by meaning to be um, helping you, can often reduce your connection to food by taking all those things away from you by doing everything for you. So I just just mark that as a little important point. Uh, make sure that you stay connected with food even when you have a carer. Don't let them do everything or go with them when they go shopping, if you can. Not obviously in that early part when you're bone-tired and can't get out of bed, probably when you're going through treatment, radio, chemotherapy. But as soon as you physically are able, get up and, and start to get connected to food. The way that I did that was by going back out into my garden and growing herbs. Now, as it happened for me, it was in 2020 when COVID hit, so there was no option. We all had to stay home. We all, you know, supermarkets were bare. Uh, so it kind of worked for me because I had to go and buy little spinach plants, kale plants that was to put in my smoothies, herbs. I, I spent time out in the sun, the fresh air, growing my garden. And a lot of the time I didn't eat it. I just grew it. But that mental connection with food was, was super important. Um, the loss of pleasure in food also comes about because of the increased effort to eat. Um, I always liken this to when I was um, preparing meals for friends coming over or a barbecue or someone was coming over for a drink, that standing around 
preparing a cheese plate or a platter and mindlessly picking at food whilst you're preparing things, you know, that all stops. You don't put anything in your mouth because you have to be so focused on not inadvertently breathing in and getting a small piece of you know, lettuce or salad or something caught in the back of your throat or going down the wrong way or... Um, ending up on the front of your face when you don't know it's there or you know there is an increased effort to eat food so there is a definite loss of pleasure in food that increased effort and burden of food that's the second point you know the routines of your food preparation change Uh, you know for me I had a, a regular routine of I'd get up early in the mornings, I'd go to food markets and I'd pick up my fresh produce. Now that would be fruit, vegetables, eggs, dairy, milk. Um, you know, I have always got a rough meal plan in my head about what I'm going to eat that week and generally it would have been um, a curry or a beautiful um, piece of meat that I'd just grill or barbecue with a salad. Um, I'd make a couple of soups. Um, so all that changed those routines of food preparation changed and for me that was incredibly emotional and I had to grieve the loss of that recognize it and grieve the loss of it and then you've got to pick yourself up and go okay well I'm not going to do it that way anymore what are some of the other ways that I can do this. What are my routines of food preparation going to look like now? And that will change as the weeks and months go by. It did for me and it continues to change. So depending on what I can eat dictates what my routines of food preparation are going to look like. What do I make? What am I going to make this week, this month? knowing in the back of my mind that what I can swallow today, I may not be able to swallow tomorrow or next week or next month. And what I couldn't swallow last month, hey, presto, I can do that. But I only know that because I try and I practice and I keep putting things in my mouth and I never know whether it's going to work. <laughs> um, you know, you've you've got to recognize that there's a different effort and burden of food preparation and your routines are going to change and don't let someone else do this for you you must stay connected to it you must recognize that your food routines are going to change and they must pivot or alter according to what you're able to eat and it does change on a day-to-day basis it's that old adage of Uh, you know two steps forward three steps back and that happens continually the third thing about dreading meal times is literally the isolation and the antisocial nature of it you know you're constantly getting rid of um, I don't know how you pronounce it I'm Australian detritus detritus that stuff that builds up in your in your mouth. Um, now, if you're home on your own like I am, I don't stick my finger in my mouth and move it around and clean it out. I, I do sometimes if there's something lodged, but mostly I'm clearing my throat constantly. 
wiping my mouth or things tend to make me sneeze Um, and as you know that's not pretty and it's all incredibly antisocial behaviour. So unless you're with close family and friends you know there's a loss of pleasure that comes from that too. You're not out and about with people just generally eating. Uh, It's frustrating to have to move your food around with your tongue or your finger rather because your tongue's not able to do that because you've lost half of it, all of it, some of it or in my case a bit of it. Uh, Getting rid of that detritus, detritus, spitting it into a a hanky or a tissue or a bucket or, and it's constant. It does get better. but I must say for me that's one of the worst aspects is that constant build-up in my throat. And I call it, it's like, um, I liken it to frog spawn. You know, frog eggs, it kind of sits across your, uh, your esophagus and your airways and you have to <coughs> keep coughing it. So, you know, they're the three areas um, of dreaded meal times where there's little flavour, no pleasure and not a lot of interest. And there's a loss of pleasure in food. There's an increased effort and burden of food and its preparation. And there's isolation and antisocial aspects to it that also create dreaded um, feelings when it comes to food time. Even when you're home on your own or just with your other half. And I really think that needs to be addressed by the healthcare system. I think there needs to be a way, a systematic way of assessing and addressing these issues. Uh, I'm addressing them because I'm a foodie and I love food and this whole process changed my life uh, irreversibly and I've had to find and create ways and strategies around those three areas as it relates to food and my food life. And it's improved my food life enormously. Uh, The fact that, you know, I've recognised what's going on and, and said to myself, well, that's a real thing. Let's address it, Yvonne. And what are some of the things that I can put into place to address that? So that's today's pain point topic in the Food Talk series. Dreaded meal times. So in conclusion, I really want you to practice, research and try again. You kind of need to know and understand what foods you can manage to address all those three issues. And you're only going to know that by trying different cuisines, uh, learning to cook uh, the basics and the foundations, knowing the five mother sources and Knowing how to use sauce to manipulate food and that all comes and you'll find your favourite in there from a smell point of view and a visual point of view and a textural point of view. I'll leave some uh, free resources in the show notes. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on dreaded meal times and I look forward to you joining me in episode five. Thanks everybody. See you all soon and eat well.